Hey everybody, Francesca here reminding you that I will be in Sacramento at the SAC Punchline on Sunday, March 17th at 7 p.m. with none other than Matt Lieb. That's right, we are co-headlining. It'll be super fun. It is St. Patrick's Day, so I guess we're all drinking, maybe? Anyway, get your tickets. There should be a link in this description, and I hope to see you there. Last election, you should do it. It's the final one. You got to go for it. Yeah, it no, is, if it's exactly. the last one, it is the final that's, one. It, that is, that is funny how all these Democrats keep telling us that this could be the last one. And all of these Democrats who have a plausible chance of running are like, no, I think my chances are slightly better <laughs> exactly. four years from now. So. <laughs> that's exactly right. Peace, everybody. Welcome to the Bituation Room Podcast. I am your host, Francesca Fiorentini. So good to have you here once again on a Tuesday or whenever you happen to be listening to this uh, incredible show. The only show you need to get through your year. Um, my God, what a year it will be. Once again, What I don't even know. Are we three shows deep into this year? It feels like I don't want to go any further. It's a little bit like... Um, you know the point in like every um, carnival ride where you're like, I'm done. Can we can we get off now? And and but the, you look over and the carny is just like <laughs> and like very excited to wait till the moment that you puke or like just turn green. Yeah, that's I'm I'm like gone around too many times. This I get sick on carousels, y'all. Like I didn't take my daughter on a carousel because I was like, ugh. Um, I'm a great mom. If you're here, what's up? Thank you so much for being here on YouTube or Twitch. Please make sure to like and share the stream right now. And if you're listening to the podcast, you know what to do. Five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to this goddamn show. Because today I have two guests, first time guests on The Bituation Room, whose shows and whose work I love and admire. Dave Anthony, comedian and co-host of The Dollop, um, is here. Super excited to have him. And Ryan Grimm of The Intercept, um, who is also just out with a new book called The Squad, is going to be here. I want to grill him as much as possible. It's going to be, hopefully, um, a, uh, a show that Paige doesn't get mad at me uh, for later. Uh, but I have a lot of questions for uh, Mr. Grimm. So I'm just going to call him Mr. Grimm from now on. I think more people should do that to Ryan Grimm. Um, Ryan softens up the Grimm too much. But anyway... Uh, Excited. We're going to dig into some things. Obviously, look at what's going on um, at the ICJ between South Africa and Israel. Uh, look at some of that testimony or some of the, the, the case that was presented from South Africa. Um, we're also going to talk about some legal updates in the Trump world, but like not the ones you'd expect. Um, there's way too many to keep track of. At some point, we'll dig into it all. We're working on a very cute graphic you can print out and put on like your binder and whatnot and your trapper keeper. Um, so stand by for that. Also, before we jump into the show, guys, I'm very excited to say that tickets are selling fast for Sketchfest. Okay, so Bituation Room is going to be there Sunday at the Gateway Theater at 7 p.m. in San Francisco. Uh, Emma Vigland of the Majority Report, Miles Gray of the Daily Zeitgeist, Nato Green, and myself. But NATO and I are doing stand-up the night before, so if you somehow don't get tickets to Sunday, come to Saturday. It's arguably going to be more fun. It'll be jokes that have been pre-written, um, and it'll be more intimate. Uh, you can, you know, see my pores and all that. Uh, whatever that means. Uh, some of you who are watching this on HD are like, I already see your pores. 
anyway. Um, so really excited uh, for all that. And remember, we also, this show is a Patreon. This is not the only show. There's a Friday show, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, patreon.com slash room. Get at it. All the bonus stuff, all the stories we didn't cover, the deep dive interviews, the interviews about Sam Bigman fried the interviews with my mentor, Max Elbaum, which we just put that up actually for everybody. If you caught any glimpse of that, that is that was first, that was months in the making or months in the taking from the patrons. And if you are a patron, you know who you are. I love you so much. You get uh, lots of good perks, including discounts on the American Prospect magazine, which I write for, new issue coming out next month very soon. Anyway, with that, let's get into it. This is What Are You Bitching About? So very, very briefly, um, I'm bitching about something a lot of people have been mentioning, um, which is uh, the White House and President Joe Biden trying to lose in November. Just just assessing the land, seeing, putting their little wet finger into the wind and saying, yep, I'd like to lose. I'd like to lose in November. I would like to, you know, Obama took us halfway down the aisle. I would f- like to completely give this country away to fascism. And uh, by not once mentioning the 23,000 Palestinians who've been murdered by Israel with the United States's help, and money and bombs, 2,000 pound bombs, um, in their 100 days since the Hamas attack statement. I'm not saying you don't come out with a statement. That's fine. You're going to you know, come out with a statement? Come out with a statement. But be honest about what's been going on. If you're truly trying to cajole the, the you know, the Knesset or, you know, the Benjamin Netanyahu from behind the scenes, if you're really trying to do that, if you're really trying to get them to rein in the war, to make it more of a like everyday war, like almost, a, I don't know, an occupation. If you're trying to go back to the way things were, then when you put out a statement lamenting what happened on October 7th of last year, at least have the fucking decency to mention. I mean, I'm looking at it now. Oh, yeah, a four-year-old American child. Okay, what about all of the American children who've died in Gaza? So anyway, it's just it's just like they tell us that they're working behind the scenes to put pressure on Israel. And we know that's not true. And as we've talked about on this show, Joe Biden is a Zionist himself. We don't have to look to him for any kind of moral leadership on this issue. We know where he will ultimately lie. It just never ceases to not disappoint and like um, just like on, on like leave the morality over here. Like, dude, you really want to lose. You really want to lose. And of course, there's going to be libs who are listening to me like, that's because you're going to not urge your people to vote. I'll tell you, you guys will know, mark my words, I will tell you to vote for Biden if he's a nominee, because I don't give a shit about, I feel like voting is like flossing, is like, you know, you have to do it. All right? I don't floss and expect to like, find fucking gold between my teeth. No, you just have to do it. Um, <clears throat> so don't come at me with this, you want Trump to win. We'll talk about why Trump would be insane the second time around. But my God, this man is not making it easy at all. Anyway, with that, let's bring in stand-up comedian, writer, actor, podcaster, co-host of literally one of my favorite podcasts. If you look at my podcast feed, one of the only ones that gets me through the week, The Dollop, with 
Gareth Reynolds and Dave Anthony. Dave Anthony, welcome. Hello. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm fun. good. Sounds like things are going good. Oh, really? I don't fun. read the news, but it sounds ah, really yes. like great. Don't start. <laughs> Just not this year. Not this year. Wait, wait a couple of years. Wait four to eight yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be good. Um, but yes, Dave, we do start this show out on the shittiest note possible. Just really like to like to build them up slowly over time. Sure. That's what um, that's it's, it's a thoughtful gesture on my part. Um, what yeah. what are you bitching about? Oh, I lost my mind this morning. Uh, oh, okay. Did you know that Cal OSHA uh, changed the rules, the COVID rules, uh, yesterday or Friday? The news dump oh. time. So now you can uh, go to work if you have COVID, uh -huh. uh, as long as you don't have symptoms, which uh, means you can spread it. Uh, so you just go to work. And then this morning, the Oakland School District uh, said, yes, all kids can come to school now if they have COVID, but uh, don't have symptoms. Oh, my. So they can spread God. it. So we're just like Florida now. We're like, let's just do Florida stuff. That They look good. Yeah, we just got full right wing crazy. This is I, people like I'm big on the COVID. I scream about it all the time. It is the number one labor issue yeah. of decades, decades. It hasn't that we haven't had something this bad since people didn't were restricted to eight hours. They could work 15 hours. This is this is causing so much death and so much disability. Yeah. Still. So uh, and now they're going to do it with our kids. And it's just like, well, let's just hope it's not like other viruses that 20 years down the road cause cancer and ms and but their mental health dave think right. of their mental health no, I know. yeah i know uh, no but i mean it's it's such bs and it is real like this is the second biggest spike of i guess since omicron two years ago it's but ever ever the second biggest spike ever right now today we're at the peak they say yeah second worst spike ever no, so whatever. Everyone's just decided it's the flu, which it's not the flu. And this is like public health. This is like 1800s public health shit that we're doing here. Yes, it's just yes. this is like when the people people get mad at you wearing a mask now. Well, that's the same thing when the first guy was like, we should wash our hands. Doctors are like, how dare you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, in fact, lick surfaces. Yeah. Yes. It's there was a moment where that we people were like, should we be more cautious? Or like, no, nah, you know what? No, be less. Much less cautious. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do uh, because people can't. Again, this comes down to don't want to tax the rich so yeah. we can take care so we can take care of people, allow them if they do get COVID to take time off until they get better. This is yeah. it's just also the rich don't get taxed. That's all this is. And no one is like no one has. No one in actual positions of power. Hello, Governor Newsom, who promised mm -hmm. Medicare for all when he became, mm -hmm. you know, was voted into office. No one's used this as a way to actually push through real public health measures and use that politically to their advantage. Because I understand yeah. politically everyone's getting crushed by COVID policies, you know, and has been crushed the world over. And, and that makes sense. But use it. Try and use it to your fucking advantage. Biden on the campaign trail will straight up say nothing about COVID. Watch. Mm -hmm. He'll say nothing. Because even he, who at least tried to save our lives a little bit, maybe like knows yeah. that it was politically unpopular, <laughs> vaguely. <clears throat> and he'll have to talk about all the things that he like, you know, rolled back, you know, the child tax credit, right. other things, the things that were expanded. The fact that now, you know, if you want a vaccine, 
they they must ask for your insurance. They are asking you for yeah. insurance. There's much more out-of-pocket payment. <clears throat> no, it's a good thing. It, I mean, look, if they want a general strike, what is it? What are we looking at? 2028? Is that is that what's I on? Mean, yeah, that I think that was the timeline, right? Where they're trying to get all the contracts together. I think it's 2028. Right. But like, right. I mean, think about all the stuff that can happen between now and 2028. I know. But, but, but <laughs> we on the left, we love to just 70 uh. chess things. I like, mean, wait honestly, until twenty twenty. No, yeah, wait. But that's the thing that's driving me crazy about the left is uh, this is a great example. Like that, this is when Jimmy Dore sucked the air out of the room by doing all that. Uh, okay, that's the, the you stuff. can only mention him once because tw okay. twice more and but he then, will appear. But then it got the left fighting with each other, and then nothing happened because a bunch of the left took the side of no, you're doing something wrong, which is fine. You can have that argument, and then all these people did, but. But everyone stopped trying to fight for something, which we all should have been fighting for right then, right there, Medicare for all. Yes. That should have been the fight. Right. Sorry, Everybody you mentioned Dor, but what do you mean about like when he was when he turned anti-vax? No, when he when he did the force, the he started screaming out force, oh, the the force vote, the vote, which yeah. was a small thing compared to what should have been happening, which is everybody screaming for Medicare for all. Yes. That that was the time of the pandemic when we all needed Medicare for all, and it turned into this egotistical nonsense fight with a bunch of people you know a bunch of people got mad at him and I, you were just watching it going I, I i literally turned off all social media at that point i bailed on everything for like a year because i was like that's it we had a moment we had a chance you have a chance at the beginning of a pandemic to do radical change that's yep. just how history works and uh we didn't do anything we just screamed at each other uh, it, you know what? I kind of want to ask Ryan about this because uh, I do a little bit blame Bernie Sanders <laughs> or a lot of I, it. And he, yeah. he wasn't he wasn't the nominee. He didn't win. But some of that visionary stuff that, you know, we were kind of all told to make ourselves small, politically small, you know, physically small. It was like and then obviously the BLM protests popped off. Sure. Um. So. Yeah. And, you know, and now we have widespread, you know, prison and police reform, Dave. So I don't really know what you're talking about. You know, at least there's that. And uh, yeah, it's all it's all worked out great. I mean, it's all it hasn't been, there hasn't been a giant rightward lurch that's terrifying at all. It's fine. Pay no attention to the lurch. Um, let's get into it. Uh, everything. A lot of things happened this week. But in my book, in my world, just two things. This is the week where. Okay, so this was the week where South Africa took Israel to court over genocide in front of 15 judges who, like, don't seem like they have billionaire sugar daddies, but you never know. Sorry, I, I mostly watch MSNBC. Did that when did that happen? <laughs> Cry swims away in her own tears. <laughs> um, so disappointing. Like, like truly one of the biggest moments i think in political history just in terms of the ways that you know i think we we all think hey what if we used courts to actually stop current heinous crimes as they're going on um you know but again libs don't like to jump on that stuff until you know 50 years in the future and then they'll make a movie about netanyahu and how much he like struggled to kill that many people um but anyway so they set out to prove that israel was doing genocide through five ways mass killings of palestinians preventing palestinian births destruction of the healthcare system forced displacement food blockade and bodily and mental harm um check 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 um and from jump dave i don't know how much you watch but i want to play three clips one of them was just like from jump you're like oh 
they did not come to play. No. And it's when Vus- uh, Muzi, all these names I will pronounce wrong, um, Madoncella got up there. And he just like, this is the preamble, very short, but sort of why they're bringing this and kind of their deep, deep understanding of the Palestinian struggle. In our application, South Africa has recognized the ongoing Nakba of the Palestinian people through Israel's colonization since 1948, which has systematically and forcibly dispossessed, displaced, and fragmented the Palestinian people, deliberately denying them their internationally recognized inalienable right to self-determination and their internationally recognized right of return as refugees to their towns and villages in what is now the state of Israel. We are also particularly mindful of Israel's institutionalized regime of discriminatory laws, policies and practices designed and maintained to establish domination, subjecting the Palestinian people to apartheid. Okay, but like what does South Africa really know about apartheid? I mean, you know, I love I love the thing where they go, well, you know, maybe South Africa shouldn't be the country doing this. As if you like, you know what? If a woman has been domestically abused, she's not the one that should talk about abusers. Like, come on. <laughs> exactly. That, those are the people who are gonna be like, no, we're not doing this again. That those are the first people that are gonna step up. Always. Yes. Yes. And this is so he mentions Nakba, right? The 1948, you know, expulsion. Uh, violent expulsion of Palestinians from their homes. Like, in this is like the 20th word out of his mouth is Nakba, which is was like, oh, because my mind was like, well, how narrow are they going to go? Are they going to just talk about this one particular war? And it's like, no, they are couching this and they don't, you know, linger on it, but they're couching this in the context of this broader colonial project and apartheid project against the Palestinian people. So I thought that was fire from the get um and i would i would wager to say that most people in the world have not heard of the nakba and now right. and a lot of people now know about the nakba a lot of yes. people do now for sure i will say though the y- y- americans are uniquely ignorant <laughs> when it comes to i mean it's really peace. incredible <laughs> like i feel like when I feel like white, an average white South African, and I'm sorry, not to discriminate, but white South Africans are probably one of the more obnoxious people on the face of the earth. <laughs> when they, okay, Dave is nodding. Head. When they're like, you know, telling us uh, there's apartheid going on over there. I can't do a South African accent. Um, but then you're like, okay, um, I can't believe they have that in, in, their, in their court or in their lane. Um, anyway, the point is, it went on. I want to play two more clips. One clip is this is from Te- Mr. Tembeki. I wrote this out, but I'm sure it's wrong. Um, Kuka Toby. And he talks about the genocidal intent because that's what they have to prove, right? Is that there was an intention to do genocide, not just in what is happening, but the intention to do it. And he does this by talking about how Netanyahu and others have invoked the biblical term of Amalek, of destroying this, you know, the Amalites or Amalekites who like, you know, tried to kill you, so you must kill them uh, and destroy them. And this was an incredibly moving and scary piece of their case. So not intended, they would not have been made. The genocidal intent behind these statements is not ambiguous to the Israeli soldiers on the ground. Indeed, it is directing their actions and objectives. On 7 December 2023, Israeli soldiers proved 
that they understood the Prime Minister's message to remember what the Amalek has done to you as genocider. They were recorded by journalists dancing and singing. We know our motto, there are no uninvolved, that they obey one commandment, to wipe off the seed of Amalek. The Prime Minister's invocation of Amalek is being used by soldiers to justify the killing of civilians, including children. These are the soldiers reputing the inciting words of their Prime Minister. Okay, so he says, I'm coming, something, 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 Hezbollah. I stick to one mitzvah to wipe off the seed of Amalek. Lay, uh, lay, 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 lay. Sorry, I think this translation is direct. <laughs> They're jumping in a circle. These are a bunch of IDF soldiers, obviously. I left home behind me. Won't come back until victory. We know our slogan. There are no uninvolved civilians. Back to the leles. Yeesh. Okay, so I'm just going to pause here. This is the end of the clip, but... I, I really like the Israeli side and their faces, which are just like, ooh, I don't know how we're going to, ah, oh, I really thought we had destroyed that clip. But then again, IDF soldiers are just taking a TikTok to brag about what they're doing. And there they are singing. Yeah, there are no uninvolved civilians. Like, I just see them scratching off that defense, <laughs> like, the next day. Like, we're very clear about who's Hamas and who's a civilian. Fuck, you know. Um, so, yeah. That I thought was I'd never seen that clip, Dave. Like I've seen, seen that a, one either. I've seen a bunch, but not that one. I mean, it's truly scary, and it literally is like, oh, Netanyahu just gave the speech. We we're gonna talk about Amalek. We're gonna you know talk about like the un, no one involved civilians, which is something that other Israeli officials and leaders have said that yeah. this distinction between you know Hamas and guilty civilians or not, uh, there is no distinction, right. Um, anyway, final moments, which I thought were really uh, moving after uh, this is Blin Ni Gara Garali. Oh, terrible. I could roll. I could roll. Yeah, so call her Blin. I think it's Blin. B L I N N E. Blin. Anyway, she um, she basically lists like how many people every day are dying in Gaza, how many mothers, how many children, how many doctors, how many uh, teachers, da, 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 da. how many people at risk of starvation. It's devastating, right? And then kind of offers this final plea, basically like, look, South Africa is doing what we can right here, and we have the power to stop this. The community has repeatedly failed. It failed the people of Rwanda. It had failed the Bosnian people and the Rohingya prompting this court to take action. It failed again by ignoring the early warnings of the grave risk of genocide to the Palestinian people, sounded by international experts since 19th of October of last year. The international community continues to fail the Palestinian people, despite the overt, dehumanizing, genocidal rhetoric by Israeli governmental and military officials, matched by the Israeli army's <coughs> actions on the ground. Despite the horror of the genocide against the Palestinian people being live streamed 
from Gaza to our mobile phones, computers, and television screens. The first genocide in history where its victims are broadcasting their own destruction in real time in the desperate, so far vain hope that the world might do something. The world should be absolutely horrified. The world should be absolutely outraged. There is no safe space in Gaza, and the world should be ashamed. South Africa is here before this court in the Peace Palace. It has done what it could. It is doing what it can by initiating these proceedings, by seeking interim measures against itself as well as against Israel. South Africa now respectfully and humbly calls on this honourable court to do what is in its power to do, to indicate the provisional measures that are so urgently required to prevent further irreparable harm to the Palestinian people in Gaza, whose hopes, including for their very survival, are now vested in this court. So that was that final plea. And she's just, there's multiple, she talks about, you know, they, she shows that whiteboard where the a doctor, I believe, um, oh. I can't remember which hospital wrote, whoever is the last person here, tell our story. Yeah. Um, and she shows photos of that and then shows that same whiteboard on the ground, bullet ridden. Uh, and, you know, it's like South Africa's here. This is what we can do. We're calling on ourselves. And I think that what she means by that is, whatever and this is why i think israel's kind of shook whatever embargo whatever thing we need to not do whatever thing we should do like whatever we can do with our behavior we're here to say we are willing to do it um so she's basically invoking she's like south africa's not innocent like if there's something we need to do to stop this genocide we will do it um and then is like yeah this is all this is this is what we have to do. This is the only thing that we can do, and here, here we are doing it. So anyway, incredibly moving. However, Israel did say Hamas was to blame, Dave. So I feel like I and just, they, I've been I've been accused of being in Hamas a few times at this point. Or uh, you know, it's it's I mean it's crazy to watch the Israeli response to that. With I think didn't Netanyahu just didn't Netanyahu just say, Yeah, we're just gonna keep doing it. I mean, that was basically his reply. Yeah, Biden's uh, behind the scenes tactics are not working. And they're especially because the dude knows Netanyahu knows if the war is over, like he's probably out as prime minister for a multitude of reasons. Um, yeah. Very much not related to the fact that there is a genocide going on, but more. That in terms seems of to be OK. What they seem to be upset with is his reaction for a long time, but also. Uh, what happened at the border on the 7th with um, Israeli soldiers. And, and that they knew them. about like, it like a year and a half. A lot of stuff. Yeah, so there's a lot of people that uh, want that you know, out, but I haven't seen anybody say because of what's going on. I no. haven't seen that. There's a small peace movement within Israel. I don't want to discount them. Uh, I well, hope we're going to have some of those folks on, on this show at some point too. But I do want to say before we leave this story that South Africa has also put the United States literally on notice um, this is uh, this is a letter from South Africa to the Honorable President, Vice President, and Secretary of State. Notice of intention to hold the government of the United States of America liable and complicit for the ongoing international crimes perpetrated in Israel, Palestine against, ooh, missing an S there, the Palestinian people. 
We hereby place the government of the United States of America on notice that we intend to bring legal, legal proceedings against the U.S. government based on overwhelming evidence that the U.S. government has and is uh, aiding, abetting, and supporting, encouraging, and providing material assistance and means to Israel and the IDF. This conduct by the U.S. has enabled and continues to enable Israel to engage in international crimes against the Palestinian people. These crimes result in, amongst others, the displacement of the Palestinian people from their homes and property, destruction of Palestinian property, theft of Palestinian land, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. Yes. Well, that's, all of all of this on notice. I mean, I, I'm surprised they did that before they waited for the verdict to come in because it's a pretty open and shut case against Biden. In the Geneva Conventions, <laughs> yeah. it says just very simply: if you provide weapons to people doing a genocide, you are guilty of of genocidal conduct. So it's just very very simply spelled out. So if they do say this is a genocide, that's it. Biden's cooked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we won't know the results of the ICJ's ruling for potentially years. Well, yeah. Why would you, why would you make that ruling now? Why would you just, why expedite it is what I'm saying. Take your time. <laughs> exactly. It's not like, well, and that, that's what South Africa, they initially started. They were like, look, thank you for calling this hearing. Now, the problem for me is I'm like good on ICJ for doing it now and having like them present their case and the defense immediately. But then you can't wait that long when there's like a genocide going on, right? Right. You're saying go ahead and finish it off and then we'll we'll decide what it was, which is like you just watch this whole thing playing out. Yeah. And it's just it's just insane to watch. I don't think I don't think a lot of Democrats understand how much <clears throat> they have broken something in a lot of people. Oof, yes. This has never happened before. I'm in my mid fifties. They broke something and they're not going to be able to put it back together. And right now they, there's a lot of thinking like there's a lot the, like the blacklisting and stuff with saying, we're going to blacklist you if you don't support Israel. They also don't get like, as the wheels turn, they might be the ones people don't want to work with. Yeah. If you're mm -hmm. a writer and you're saying, I'm going to blacklist people who, who are also writers who were against Israel people might not want to work for you yeah that this goes both ways and it as does. time turns the worm turns but i don't i don't know where this goes but right now i've never felt like this in america i have I think no that's... interest in continuing this this whatever we're doing this process of america it's a fucking disaster and i want it to go away the country i think that we need to <laughs> raz it and start over again Dude, straight up disaster. Just shake it like an etch a sketch. And it's not just me. I talk to my liberal relatives. They're done. Yeah. They don't get what they've broken. They've broken something. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that is an incredible way to put it. And I think what South Africa did here is they said, look, we know we're not popular now. Effectively, we are banking in history, proving us correct. And we're yeah. banking on the future of this we know right now we are seen as the enemy from a lot of people including the people with money and power but we're hoping that that it this does not last for very long let's move on quickly because we got to get to ryan but this was the week and this kind of slid under my radar but apparently donald trump made a lot of money in the white house not just his jared kushner or ivanka or family and or the trump organization not just the money that he's raised from his sad MAGA followers for like this court case and that court case, but no, from foreign governments while he was in office, 
$7.8 million from nearly two foreign governments during his presidency, according to documents released by Democrats of the House Oversight Committee, specifically led by Jamie Raskin. Um, the pocket lining funds included money Trump received from some of the world's most unsavory regimes. Which ones? Big spenders. China, actually, the largest sum of all the nations, 5.5 million from entities, including China's embassy in the United States, the Industrial and Commercial Bank of China, the Hainan Airlines holding company, as well as, well, this is obvious, Saudi Arabia. I guess it wasn't enough to hold the orb and dance with it, um, which gave Trump uh, $615,000. Other nations, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, Malaysia, Albania, Kosovo, UAE, Qatar, Kuwait, India, Afghanistan, Philippines, Kazakhstan, Thailand, the self-declared Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, which is news to me, uh, Mongolia, Lebanon, Latvia, Turkey, Hungary, and then I guess regular Cyprus. Um, but this is, so this report is called The White House for Sale, How Princes, Prime Ministers, and Premiers um, Paid Off President Trump. A lot of P's, a lot of solid alliteration there. Um, it is illegal. In the Constitution, Article 1, Section 9, Clause 8 says you can't take gifts if you're the president unless Congress is like, okay. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, you can have yeah, it. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, now, the, what's interesting is we know this because I guess they finally wrested information from Trump's accountant firm, like about his, like any disclosures. Because oh. they, they, they let him be president without getting full financial disclosure. Right. Got it for a window. And then um, the uh, Republican chair, is it? Comer was like, nope, windows closed. You don't have to comply anymore. So these accountant firm does not have to comply. So there could be even more money that Trump received while in office from these foreign governments. Um, I don't know. Can I just say I don't I don't give a shit like, OK, <laughs> when I look at our government, everything uh -huh. is for fucking sale. The whole thing is a corrupt nightmare. We yes. have a Congress that just does insider stock trading it the it's just this is not the thing you know what i mean trump is a scumbag trump is a fascist trump is a nightmare this isn't the way to do it it's just never going to be because when your side can also be pointed out for being corrupt you you can't do this this yeah. isn't a thing it's like when they go after hunter biden everyone's like yeah but everyone's got a First of all, everyone's got a crazy uncle and and who does drugs. There's everyone's got a guy who's Fail got a problem who, in the family or whatever yeah. else. Oh, is he cropped? Okay, but when I think of that, I think yeah, but all their kids are making money off of stuff. That yeah. all their kids are working with companies that have contracts with the government. It's just it, it's what it is. It's the thing. Yeah. So like whenever they go after this, it's like well, wipe out all the corruption or shut the fuck up and. Go after him totally. for something else. Exactly. If you're actually going to do this, it has to go hand in hand. They, however, this report also has um, legislative reforms. Are those going to get passed? No. You know, there's this idea that we're going to Trump proof. Right. But like, yeah, right. So it's like, this is bad. But also, yeah, why are you telling us unless you're going to do something about it? it and it's all comply by the same follow the same rules yes yes it is it is exactly it's the, so if you want to start this the first thing you have to do is go we are going to get rid of that that thing where we get to make money off of insider trading just like if you want to go after putin the first thing you have to do is put bush on trial <laughs> that's the first thing you do when you want to go after bad guys is go oh you know the thing we did that was kind of similar we're actually going to take care of our side of the street and then sure. we'll and then it'll look like we can go after the other guy but when you say like, when you say like, this guy's bad and there's something pretty similar that you've done over here, well, it doesn't work. 
You know, this is was actually Trump's excuse, Trump's lawyer's excuse uh, as to why he has presidential immunity for many of Jack Smith's cases around the documents and taking the documents and then the, you know, inciting the riot, uh, you know, trying to overturn the election is like, oh, well, look, if we start with Trump, then what are we going to go after W. Bush for, you yes. know, making up <laughs> WMDs? And it's like, uh huh. Yes. Yeah, we yes, will do are. that next. God damn it. <laughs> but this is actually anyway. There's so many um, other legal updates. And one of the other ones is this civil case. Obviously, if Trump loses this case um, in New York, he, he no longer is able to do any kind of real estate business in the state of New York, um, has to pay something like $370 million. Um, and the Judge Engeron, um, who's like, by the way, the that was a closing statement, um, he had a bomb threat called into his home. He's faced uh, a lot of violence. Uh, so uh, that was the what clouded that. Um, Engeron's top staffer faced threats after Trump criticized her as politically biased, prompting the judge to issue a gag order, barring him from disparaging the court. The judges fined Trump $15,000 for twice violating that order. The dude just racks up this fucking, his tab is so long here. And he was going to give... Um, Trump was going to give his closing speech in this civil trial. He was going to sort of defend himself. And the judge was like, okay, you can do that, but you can't make this a stump speech. And he did, he did not. He did not exist. In. Trump proceeded to ignore the judge's conditions, even after Engeron asked him to promise to just comment on the facts of the law. Um, Trump followed his courtroom outburst with another at a press conference. So anyway, how it went down was he said, Trump says, this is a fraud on me. Trump said of the case brought by New York Attorney General Letitia James. You have your own agenda, Trump proceeded to tell Judge Arthur Engeron. You can't listen for more than one minute. Oh, really, buddy? Mr. Kais, please control your client. Engeron urged Trump's lawyer, Chris Kais, according to Politico. So it got <laughs> spicy. I mean, look, I, I would guess if I'm a judge, I don't want to do that either because the death threats are are terrifying like that they're getting him and also like he has family he has like right. that's what happens to all these people that go against trump and kind of what's always happened to him like trump used to be associated with the filipino mob like he's got all these weird connections <laughs> he's a yeah. bad dude uh, he's been doing this for years this is yeah. his game yeah absolutely and of course he's going to take money from uh from random i mean he would take money if you were like i am an heiress of northern yeah. cyprus can i come to mar-a-lago and Look at your documents. Well, of course, you know, whatever. Um, I fantasy. Do you know what my fantasy is? Is that yes. he, he goes into exile before he gets put into jail and he builds his own Oval Office and he films from it every day. Oh, I love that. Like if he loses, that's, we'll see, that's, Not I if was he just loses. Thinking, if he wins. It doesn't matter. Oh, like a he just goes When the court trial, when it looks like he's going to get convicted, he takes off. So he just has a separate government where he's calling it the real government in another country. I like, see, I've been one, like, I was just like, what if we all pretend, what if we Truman show this thing, pretend like he has one. Yeah. And he is the president. Totally. You put him in his little bubble. You put him in a little fake soundstage. He lives <laughs> yeah. in there. He thinks it's real. Yeah. We solved. Oh God, we go. We <laughs> um, all right, let's bring in uh, for the first time. Um, so excited to have him. Um, 
reporter for the intercept but no isn't he aren't you a chief executive officer of the intercept um host of the deconstructed podcast co-host of counterpoints and author of several books including the squad aoc and hope of a political revolution ryan grimm mr grimm welcome she's not checking my checking my hair here how are we looking out of that mirror first looking great uh this is dave how you guys doing this is ryan okay we're good um ryan you well you've been we didn't talk about iowa yet but just one line about something we all knew was going to happen and maybe the biggest takeaway in your mind from the iowa caucus uh (laughs) trump romped and he's going to continue to romp um trump romp yeah trump Um, are you you as confused by the surprise from people that he did win because like no, because I have the last couple of years I've been I've spent in this like mix of uh, the a progressive ecosystem, but then also um, doing this show on Wednesdays where I have a right wing uh, co-host counterpoints. Oh, and yeah. so that has brought me like fully into conversation with all the uh, right wingness that's going on. And so it's been clear that there's this massive kind of just epistemic gulf between, you know, the way that, you know, what people in the progressive world just even know about like what the right wing is is talking about and i think they've kind of constructed a lot of kind of hopeful fantasies that that uh that trump isn't going to be for a long time there were reasons that he wasn't going to actually end up being popular and that people were going to reject him then there's the you know the criminal uh you know potential that he's going to be locked up and so they won't have to beat him politically that way um but on the right that's not like they're it's just clear that he's he's their guy and they're riding riding him all the way whether he's in jail or not yeah yeah that's that must be fun to work with your co-host and <laughs> every week and be like yeah i'm 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 a very live- I'm, I'm a really curious person so it, like I, I i love it i i it's it's i like being kind of up on you know what 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 they're into on the smooth it's- brain up on the smooth yeah. brain you sort of like you slide off the other side of it very quickly he- I, the, your your host has said some terrifying things in the past, but um, <laughs> but we all should be up on it because they're they're like the, you know you brought up the 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 bomb threat against um, the judge. They're they're doing bomb threats all over. The right wing is yeah. kicking it up, and they started kicking it up on like the first. They're like, oh, it's twenty twenty four. Let's go. Like they are ramping up, and it's violence. That's what they're ramping up towards. That's they're, they're making good on their New Year's resolutions to do more yeah, bomb threats. But they're scaring people all there. I mean, they're doing libraries and stuff like it's it's not great. Like people need to be atten- paying attention to what they're saying and what they're doing. Yeah, these are 100 percent. These are these are dark. These are dark times um, for, you know, all over the world. No doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to talk to you about your book, um, The Squad, uh, which I, I did get. I got it on Kindle. I did beg. Oh. I begged Ryan earlier. I was like, just send me. But then I then I bought it on Kindle. Um, did I send But anyway, one? no, but that's okay. That's okay. You probably missed the email. It's fine. It's Let's talk about. Such an a-hole. Oh, this is so awkward. This is yeah. so weird. <laughs> Thank you for okay. buying it. Of course. Um, my, my, uh, my administrative failure actually worked out for me. It did. Royalty clearly. wise. It did. It did. Um, I do want to talk about first like the pot like what the squad does uh and then what the squad's up against and then kind of looking forward into this next election year but i I just broadly the squad is a moniker that was given to these progressive uh 
candidates and Congress people got elected largely women, women of people of color, working class people, you know, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar. But the squad, how is it organized politically? Because there is no like hazing to be part of the squad or like some pledge that how do they meet is there a barrier to entry like how do you see them actually working together um you know behind the scenes yeah i asked uh ilhan omar that question uh toward the end of the reporting for the book and and i I loved her response she's like you know there is no such thing as the squad right like you you are aware of this i'm like yeah well i'm writing a book about it so little late for that <laughs> now in the first half of 2019 which is the first year that they served in congress actually maybe maybe say the first year through through a lot of that first term um the the staffs of the squad which at the time there was no debate about who was in it it was these right. these four members uh the ones you, the ones you named and they would you know they would text each other and but the the staff would you know, circulate ideas to other members of squad like that mm-hmm. was they they understood that that was a kind of a four person base that they could start with. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one one story in there where they AOC staff had a particular idea. Uh, they circulated it to the rest of the squad. They couldn't get any support. And they're like, well, we're now we're just gonna have to do this alone. But like their first instinct was we're going to circulate this to the squad. And that was and it was it was not demanded that um if somebody was in the barrel you were required to get in the barrel with them because you know they the, you know the three of the four of them spent most of like that first two years like uh, alternately in a, different barrels for different things um getting right. blasted um by you know whether it's nancy pelosi or steny hoyer or josh gottenheimer or donald trump telling them to go back to their country um most absurd thing ever also one one little nugget i i realized when going back over that uh, they need to go back to their country. Mm-hmm. Trump was clearly watching this Netroots Nation panel. He probably saw a clip of it on on Fox News. The panel did not have all of the squad members. It it had Deb Holland as one of the members on the panel. So not only are these like, is it offensive and ridiculous because these are American citizens? Um, but literally, Deb Holland's Native, Native American. <laughs> yeah, no. But I don't I don't think Fox didn't mention her and I, maybe Trump didn't realize that she was on the stage. Um, but it's just an uh, extra delicious he, irony. Sure. Go he back to her, go back to her country. He's had a lot of, he's had a lot of history of, of attacking native Americans. That's insane. true. He was, he was really mad because he was fighting them over casino rights or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Jesus. Well, okay. Um, so, so right. Yeah, so, knowing that the squad isn't yeah. like an organized body, but like, so, which I think is really important to know. Um, can you just tell us, like, assess their power, their relative power in Congress um, it, yeah. for it, us? Like, like, how do they actually operate? Like, what do you think their actual influence and power is? We know what they're for. Green New Deal, Medicare for all, not taking corporate PAC money, you know, working class bread and butter issues. But I guess sort of like assess them because, you know, we have this broad discussion on the left. which is like, why can't the squad do this? Why can't we have Medicare for all yet? And there's sort of a misunderstanding about what their role, the amount of power they actually have. Yeah, and there there was a suggestion from AOC to, after she won her primary that perhaps she would form when she got to Congress what she called in an interview with Daniel Denver a sub caucus. Yeah, um, and her analysis was the Progressive Caucus doesn't have any litmus test to join. Uh, 
if a member like wants the label of progressive because he or she thinks it'll help them in their district, they can just write a $5,000 check from their campaign and they're in the progressive caucus. Boom, done. Right. Like that, that's it. Now there are, since Pramila Jayapal took over, there are actually some basic requirements that, that you have to meet. Um, but at the time there were none. And so she floated. And she also said, you know, the, the, the number, the scale of it is makes it unwieldy 90 people. Like you can't, can't move that yeah. fast. Um, and mm -hmm. also it's, your 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 threats are not as credible if all 90 are saying that they're going to vote no on this thing it's like i know you're not we're, we're going <laughs> right. to like we're going to break off all of we'll you one by one of yeah yeah which is why there's the republican study conference on the one hand which is the giant group of conservatives which is kind of the parallel to the progressive caucus on the republican side and then there's the much smaller freedom caucus which is like 24 members and yeah, I never even it. heard of the Republican Study Caucus. I feel like that's like study. They, yeah, they study. It, well, it go, yeah, it goes back to like the '80s where they had um, these study groups that would that then developed into these little blocks inside inside churches. Yeah. yeah uh -huh. So <laughs> yeah, but the Republican Study Conference that it, the RSC that's that's kind of like if you are a strong conservative but you're not like a hardline right winger. Sure. Um, sure. And. And basically, like if you're a progressive caucus, but you're not in the squad. Um, yeah. But there was a there was a lot of fear um, among House Democrats that she was going to create this sub caucus and that it was going to create a lot of you know in, internal uh, turmoil and in, in, in infighting. And there was pressure not to create it. And there so there was uh, a time in 2019 where they the squad could have said, you know, we're going to form something mm -hmm. like this this sub caucus that where we're going to you know, try to use what leverage we have and we're going to stick together and vote no on things and, you know, blow things up um, until we get our way. Uh, they, they ended up not, they ended up never, never doing that. Mm -hmm. Now they, they put into practice that idea. If you remember through that whole, hold the line fight around build back better, where they're saying, we're not going to pass the infrastructure bill. Um, yes. un unless you also pass the climate and social spending bill. And the squad actually stuck to that in the very end, and they had to get Republican votes to, to pass the infrastructure bill through the House. Um, but it, it's very difficult for progressives to build credibility around a, a threat to vote no, because usually they're like, well, it's there like, is some there is some good stuff in here. And do and, you want to fund the government or right, not? Right. The Freedom you know? the Freedom Caucus is like fine if there's a government shutdown. Yeah. Um, they're not fine if there's yeah. a default and an economic collapse, which is why they always blink. Um, in the face of the the debt, is that you know, the, is that actually feeling. true? The the Freedom Caucus to me seems like they're they're crazy enough to. They still you know, represent car dealers and they do. You know, yeah. you know, like a lot of people <laughs> with money. Specific, but it, yeah, yes. yeah. So when it gets the, close, the they're big. They're big donors. Their they're, they're actual people are like, are you are you crazy? Like, do you have any idea yeah. what this is going to okay. do? The the yacht leasers get mad. Uh, yes. Yacht leasers right. lobby. So, but let's talk about that fight because it does seem like the one time they really did flex their muscle was mm -hmm. around Build Back Better, the president's plan, trying to make sure that they could use the, their vote as leverage to make sure that the Senate would pass Build Back Better. Um, along with the infrastructure package and that those remember that time, mm -hmm. if everyone listening, I had to go back and read this chapter of your book and refresh my memory that those would be voted on together. And then Pramila Jayapal basically got picked off by the president himself saying, no, 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 I swear I'll get Manchin on board with Build Back Better. And he didn't. And that didn't what? happen. Yeah. 
And Jayapal was sort of left, you know, um, kind of out, left in the lurch. What do you, what do you feel like the lessons for progressives around that were? I remember seeing people like liberals on Twitter being like, "How dare AOC withhold her vote? Yeah. They're so privileged." And get, but, but, but. but anyway, what did you speak to folks from the squad or even Pramila herself? Like, what are some of the lessons they drew from this? Their inability to successfully right. use their leverage to defend a very centrist president and it, part of it flowed out of the strategy of and and perhaps there was no other strategy but the strategy of saying we are defending the president's agenda here we are we are we are doing what the president wants us to do and they had stared down the president a couple times like he was he was he came to the house and pramila asked ron Klain said do not do not send him here. And if you do send him here, don't don't tell him that. Uh, tell him not to ask us to vote for this thing because we don't want to have to embarrass him. And so he didn't ask them. Mm. And so mm. because he didn't ask them, then Nancy Pelosi's like, you guys got to vote for this infrastructure bill. Uh, the CPC was able to say, look, Biden didn't ask us to vote for this thing. Um, so we're mm. holding the line. And they and they held it for a, a very long time using that strategy. But that strategy sets you up for the obvious problem, which is that when the president does turn, and says, well, no, 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 I actually really want you right now, like today to vote for this thing. Um, then then you, you've lost that, you know, that leverage that that you had. What Jayapal would say uh, is that they held it so long that it kept the build back better in play. And Manchin didn't actually walk away. He pretended to walk away. What he had been saying the whole time is that he didn't want to pass the bill now. That he wanted mm. to do it later. He wanted to see how inflation went, etc. Um, he he kept he even wrote in the Wall Street Journal, "I want us I want a strategic pause in the negotiations around <laughs> humanitarian build back pause." And he, and yeah. he couldn't and he couldn't get it, so he he created it by saying, "I'm done, I'm out." But then right. the very next day, he was actually back in secret negotiations uh, with Schumer, so which then resulted in uh, the. 300 plus, uh, you know, billion dollar climate spending. They, they took all of the housing stuff out, which is just, it's wild to think like the biggest crisis um, that, you know, regular people are facing is is in housing. Like the people can't afford rent. People can't, you know, uh, if, if if they're in a home, they're stuck in that home. They can't. I afford. just looked today and I was like, like nope, never leaving. I do periodically. Yeah, no. I'm like, where could I go? <laughs> nope, never leaving. Never, yeah, never. It's, it's completely broken. They had a gigantic, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars and plus policy dedicated toward affordable housing and mansions like, no, if, you know, my, my price to get was back this, in is this, this goes. Was this an in inflation reduction act or was the housing in the build back it, it, better? It, it was in build back better. And then when it became inflation reduction act, that was one of the main things that, that, that plus the, the child care spending and the other care economy yes. stuff mansion, yes. mansion kicked out. Um, and so it, what you were left with was um, some social spending uh, and then, the climate stuff, which is, which is not, not nothing, not nothing. Like that, mm -hmm. that could end up being, you know, multiple trillions of dollars. Uh, if you lever, you know, if it, if it does successfully leverage as it seems like it is, uh, you know, private investment from, from the sidelines by subsidizing, um, you know, clean energy that it, to make it competitive with the massively subsidized, you know, fossil fuel energy. So Jayapal right. would say, um, they, that they held the line long enough to to make that happen. The squad would say, we, you know, we we threw away our leverage and we could have kept going just because Biden demanded that that we. And Bernie, uh, and according to your book, you know, Bernie yes. also asking them. Bernie uh, got a real 
got a, got a pass from everybody um, on this. You know, it, yeah. One thing I report in the book um, as they're developing this this uh, two track strategy, uh, it's all being put on the house. And Jayapal calls Bernie and it's like, look, this doesn't really make sense. Why is the Senate just going to send us this infrastructure bill? Like you also agree with us. Like you're yeah. also saying no infrastructure bill until we get the climate, social spending, housing, everything else. Um, so help us out here. Like vote. No, yeah. like, um, you know, if all of the progressives in the Senate vote for this thing, like, how are we going to explain voting no uh, on it? And uh, Sanders said, I trust Chuck. You know, I tr Chuck said, we're going to leave it to the House. But of, co of course, Chuck said, we're going to leave it to the House. Like, w why would, you know, where, where else Where else does Schumer want that fight to be? Certainly not in the Senate. Right. So then, this, you know, Jamal Bowman, for instance, you know, got hammered in his primary last cycle, you know, for voting no on the infrastructure bill. Um, of course you know, he did. But I, I think it didn't work uh, for you know, Bowman was really popular then. Um, we'll see how he does post uh, fire alarm and po post, post pulling post the fire. <laughs> God, um, I think it, very fast. And, and also importantly, there's going to be redistricting, and I and Democratic leaders might you know try to screw him. Um, uh, but uh, it didn't land then because it's like he's a, he's like a Democratic socialist, and you're saying he's against spending on infrastructure. Like yeah. something about this 30 second ad is just not landing sure sure, sure 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 okay well let's get kind of into the like caddy bullshit because i i like that part of the book Ooh. which is when aoc effectively says look i i thought you know like i wasn't sure how much of you know sort of my freshman hazing was to do with pelosi or not but then once pelosi wasn't speaker anymore and hakeem jeffries who has said outwardly called AOC like an influencer, like really, really right, disrespectful yeah, harsh. stuff. And, and like organized a pack against her. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But that like actually some against, of her problems yeah. were thing like the squad faced less resistance with Pelosi out of the speakership position. Can you talk, speak to that at all? I think some of it has to do also with being in the minority. Um, you know, sure. when, you know, when, when you're in the majority and you're jockeying, for for power over real things um then th then it's going to be a lot hotter um between the this the speaker whoever the speaker is and um you know critics from the, the progressive left when you're in the right. minority um it's like you know everybody's just fighting against uh kevin mccarthy or mike johnson nice. or you know whatever and and there's so and it's not like the senate where the Republicans have to get a handful of Democratic votes so that, that mm -hmm. there's some, you know, they're forced to like work together on something. So I think some of it is that. But yeah, it 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 was interesting how and it raised the question of how, how much, you know, because when when Pelosi's at that point in her career, a lot of people are think about ev everything she's doing from the con through the prism of like, you know, her big donors or, you know, political calculations. But she's also at that point thinking a lot about her legacy um mm. you know how she's going to be remembered um one you know one of the most consequential speakers um of of the last hundred years or so and so i think some of it has to be understood through that prison where she came in when when she was don't make me she, look bad and when she made it into leadership at in the late 90s early 2000s she that was a huge win for the progressive wing of the democratic party so now to be told that she's like a sellout and too conservative and like that she's not as uh, as progressive as as this new 
kind of young energy, you know, yeah. I think is, is a shot at her, at her legacy as well. And so I think some, some of it was, was personal in that sense. Mm, interesting. She, her, her legacy is going to be, it's bad because when she said the green new thing or whatever it is, right. the green, green. Yeah. That, that, that's the biggest issue facing us there. They said some really stupid stuff. That's going to hammer them for years to come. Okay. Yeah. But, as a mom now, I realize there's a Raffi song called Green Dream, and she's a grandma. And I think, I think she might have been like, it's like, we have a green dream. Na, na. I think she was getting, uh, she has like 18,723 grandchildren. So um, anyway, <laughs> I do want to ask you about the, obviously, the Israeli lobby. You talk about it a lot. This They have been coming for the squad. Since they were running, they've pledged $100 million in this next um, election cycle against squad members. Even like they're so afraid of even anyone voting present uh, on any kind of I stand with Israel non-legislation legislation. legislation. Um, Can you just explain what happened with AOC? I know we're focusing a lot on her, uh, but what happened with AOC and the Israeli lobby? And then by comparison, what happened with John Fetterman, Ryan? Oh, yeah. Fetterman's story was interesting. Um, but yeah, with and and so AOC, after she wins her primary, um, she does an interview um, on the firing line with Margaret Carlson, kind of a right wing um, host who presses her on Israel, Palestine. And right. a- after some kind of uh, awkward moments, she just taps out of the interview. She's like, look, I'm not, I'm not, a, I think your quote was, I'm not a geopolitical expert on this, on this issue. And you could see the kind of wheels turning. And she talked about it afterwards that there's, there are, she knows that there are third rails on this issue, but she's genuinely not steeped in it at right. the time. And so doesn't even know if she's touching these third rails or not. Right. And which, which is one of the more, I can imagine, frightening, you know, political experiences um, that you can have. A lot of people will say, this is like a super complex issue. And that's, uh, masking like in a hidden agenda that they have. Uh, she was saying that cause she's like, she was like, look, I, this is not an issue. I, I was bartending, you know, just a couple months ago, full time. Right. Um, and, and in, in my Puerto Rican neighborhood and in my Puerto Rican family, it wasn't, it wasn't an issue that we talked about a lot. Um, so a week later, you know, her campaign hears from a representative mm-hmm. of APAC saying, we saw the interview and you know, we can help, uh, you know, we can help educate you on this oh. issue. Let's, Let's start the start the conversation, and to help start the conversation, we've actually already, you know, cobbled together a hundred thousand dollars of campaign contributions, and, and there's a lot more uh, where that comes from. And you know, her her, her campaign uh, aide Corbin Trent, you know, tells her and Shroykot Chakrabarty, her her campaign manager, about it. And yeah. like, wow, that's that's rather that's rather direct. Um, but at the time, by then, this is a you know several weeks to a maybe more than a month after she'd been elected and she's now like a national political star every yeah. time every time she's going on instagram or tweeting she's a sure. hundred thousand dollars is pouring into her campaign so she could easily say you know so uh, she's like a little yeah. bit more and yeah. we'll talk. No, I'm kidding. but open but, you know, <laughs> open to but, hearing open to hearing you know she wants to meet with everybody but not 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 but she she could tell at the time you know how how corrupting that could be like oh yeah if, if you weren't her like if if you actually do need the money because if you do need it um and you say no you know that that money is they're not going to be like all right cool you know that's fine don't worry about it we're all we're all good like they're still going to spend that money 
uh, mm -hmm. but it's now it's going to be spent uh, for somebody else. Against uh, you. In, yeah. Against, oh, this money's you. allocated to you. Right. It's just yes, going to be right. for you yes. or against you. You yeah. could choose. And there's a lot more where it came from. Um, yeah. Fet Fetterman. And I think what the last few months with Fetterman has shown is that it goes much deeper than just um, what I'm about to describe. Uh, but during his Senate campaign, you know, he was facing, if you remember, a not he doesn't just have to win uh, against the Republicans in the general election. He has to he has to beat Connor Lamb, this kind of cent right. center right Democrat in the primary. And Connor Lamb and his brother were our cousin or whoever uh, those dudes are, uh, were like very publicly calling for super PAC support in the last couple months of the race. They kept putting out these memos that were saying, like, here are John Fetterman's weaknesses. If we go up on the air with this amount of money in these districts, if a super PAC goes up in you know these areas with this amount of money, with these messages, like we can overcome this 20 plus point you know gap that we have with Fetterman right now. They were very public about it. One of the more you know uh, public uh, pleadings uh, for super PAC money that I've ever seen. Uh, and the main super PAC that they had their eye on at the time was Democratic Majority for Israel, DMFI. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um run by uh founded by mark melman who's a apac advisor who, who's who's client over in israel is yair lapid who's kind of a center-right head of the yeshatid party there uh and was spending a lot of money against bernie and and organizing to spend against against the squad and they looked very closely at it they and also reed hoffman's um super PAC, which worked very closely um with mark with mark melman's mark melman was the consultant for reed hoffman's uh super, super PAC. And DMFI sat down with Fetterman and Fetterman was like, Fetterman's campaign is like, well, what does our Israel-Palestine position need to be? And they met, then they drafted this. the position. They sent it over to DMFI and Mark Melman said they sent it back with notes. It was, it was very good that they had a couple notes. Uh, the campaign accepted the notes. Don't and, mention occupation right. or Palestinians. No, well, I'm sure that was not in their first draft either. <laughs> Let's go conflict, <laughs> yeah. tragic. Um, yeah, there will be you basically, you know, BDS is evil, uh, you know, which is bo the boycott movement. Um, no, you know, you certainly you can't have any conditions on aid. Um, right. That those, you know, basic, basic stuff. So they're, so they're, almost, he, they're almost getting a contract for what to say when they're given money. Is that? Yeah. And a lot of other candidates um, did did similar things. Um and that, that I write about in the book. It's like, it's a negotiation, not for money, the negotiation to not get money spent against them. Yes. So Which Fetterman is, was basically, because DMFI- Because they didn't give him money. They didn't endorse him or give him money. They just didn't give money to Connor Lamb. Oh shit. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's fucking terrifying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're not even getting paid oh, for it. That's, that's the part of the story live. I was missing. Okay, You just fine. get to live. Yeah. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got uh, it. Got it. Got it. I got to say, I really don't think they kind of under, I mean, all these people are doing this, but the, the landscape is changing and old people are dying and young people coming up are not like our generation. Mm -hmm. you know and I mean, it's a different yeah. animal and I don't mm -hmm. think they know what's coming. Right. And they think they can, they think they can spend their way into suppressing it. Um, and you yeah. can beat Nina Turner like they did. They, yes. they beat they beat Nita Alam in um, North Carolina. They beat Donna Edwards. Uh, like they, they beat a lot of Israel critics um, or, or uh, people who would be, you know, open to the idea of entertaining Palestinian dignity. Um, but you can't do that forever. I don't think. No.
especially because it isn't a bread and butter issue. It is not something you talk around at a dinner table generally if you're, you know, Puerto Rican in the Bronx. Like, it's just not something. And a lot of these districts, I mean, we don't have time to get into, but it's it is also really bad faith um, pitting like another black leader that they lift up from obscurity Mm -hmm. or whomever and put them against one of these squad members that are, again, like we talked about, mostly working class people of color. Um, and in the most fucked up bad faith way about an issue that literally does not affect their everyday lives um, in the ways that, and this is my, what I've been bitching about for a long time right now, which is liberal Zionists who are willing to throw away our best chance, which is the squad at some kind of, you know, real economy that operates with justice, any kind of universal health care, fucking stopping climate chaos, anything, because why? Uh, because we have to slaughter a bunch of Palestinians and you're anti-Semitic if you say that it is a slaughter. So anyway, way, I, if, if climate change hits really hard, one of the worst countries to be hit is going to be Israel. But right. yeah, yeah, you can only um, pump I'm sure... so much water out of the Mediterranean. Salinization exactly. has its limits, probably. But exactly. Maybe not. We'll see. Before I let you go, there's a, just OK, three more questions very quick. But Josh Gottheimer, who we know, corporate <laughs> centrist uh, Democrat from Jersey, part of the Problem Solvers Caucus, which is under the No Labels political group, mm-hmm. um, yeah. has gotten money from Israel, but also has gotten money from Saudi Arabia. Can you talk about what you learned and like why that's dangerous and why the fuck no one's calling him on that? It's this, there's this really fascinating nexus that developed in in Washington in the 2010s that that brought together the UAE, uh, Saudi Arabia and Israel in a, in a kind of co- lobbying coalition. Uh, Saudi and the UAE don't have many citizens here in in the United States, and so they're not they're not able to legally spend directly on campaigns. You can't prop up, you can't do a super PAC, um, you know, through uh, Saudi citizens or Emirati citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, APAC though has a nor- is is funded by American citizens, so a- you know APAC's got the kind of ground troops. Um, Saudi and the UAE had just hundreds of millions of dollars to spend on soft political stuff like building a you know 150 million dollar wing at a um children's museum in in washington sure. and throwing galas and like you know throwing dinners for uh journalists Trump's golf and, tournaments yeah yeah buy, yeah exactly you've you've seen how the, the same thing that they've done around the world there they did in washington throughout the 2010s buying up all of these these friends and friends and allies that flowed directly into the Abraham Accords, um, you know, Kush, Kushner putting together this project that would say, you know, we're going to we're going to team up the Emiratis, uh, the Israelis and the Saudis, and we're just going to forget about uh, we're just going to forget about the Palestinians. Um, and so, you know, that 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 was the kind of power structure that Gottheimer was was a part of, like he he and Mark mm-hmm. Penn, who uh we don't have time to go into Mark Penn, um, but Mark Penn is, is his, yeah, is his mentor. Uh, one of the most, you know, like, I think, objectively speaking, one of the most odious people in, you know, in politics uh, over, the, over the last, he must like, be, you know, he must be awful. Years. Right, Dave? <laughs> Who does he uh, have tattooed but, on his back? Shit, yeah. I thought it was Roger Stone. And his, <laughs> just he has, and, got Kissinger tattooed on. You know, he and his wife. Now he was, he was, uh, he was like the the devil on Bill Clinton's shoulder. He was like the the like 
mm-hmm. ba- bad strategist that they brought in to like tell um, Bill Clinton how to like destroy Monica Lewinsky's character. Oh, um, he, he, he then became um, Hillary Clinton's uh, campaign strategist who said you need to basically accuse Obama of being un-American. Um, he and he and Gottheimer are, are, are presumed to be behind uh, the Jeremiah Wright stuff, the like, you know, mm-hmm. you know born in Kenya. like all of the like mm-hmm. crazy stuff. Yeah, he that, was the like, birth certificate guy, right? Yeah, he, like, yeah, quietly doing all of that, all of that stuff. Meanwhile, he's going in and out of the private sector, um, working for Microsoft, where and Gottheimer goes to the FCC and then goes goes to Microsoft. And then Mark Penn starts a this private equity firm, the Stagwell Group, that was doing a lot of work with Saudi Arabia, where uh, Gottheimer was was also working. Uh, then Gottheimer, uh, when he's when Gottheimer was finally elected in 2016, he he, f- he f- formed an official legislative caucus called the Problem Solvers Caucus, sponsored by No Labels, which is Mark Penn and Nancy Jacobson's, <laughs> his wife Nancy Jacobson's project, which is you know private equity hedge fund, you know baseball stadium owner, not um, left, not right, forward. That's right. <laughs> safe for That's money right. please is it yes. safe for money okay <laughs> yeah and so yeah right and now they might be you know they're trying to recruit joe manchin um to run for president which interestingly, oh. even, even gottheimer has uh um distanced himself from that one really? i mean yeah. the saudi arabia thing re- before we leave that i just think it, it is important to note how disgusting and dangerous but also how aligned israel and saudi arabia's interests although they sort of they pretend like they're not in on the same side but they truly are against iran hate the iran deal hate any kind of easing or softening of relations diplomacy with iran which is truly what the iran deal was mark melman to complete the nexus mark melman who started dmfi ran apex anti-iran deal um like side project which which failed but then succeeded under trump and and getting uh you know the u.s to back away from the iran deal Mm-hmm. And now, you know, Iran now we're bombing Yemen whatever, uh, from having a nuclear <laughs> weapon and we're at, we're at war. And, and one side point, like there's never any accountability for these people. Like they got the exact confrontational policy that they wanted mm-hmm. and look at and, and they don't seem to have any ownership of the results of it. Like you, you mm-hmm. got what you wanted. You you broke up the Iran deal. You got the Abraham Accords by ignoring the Palestinians. Here we are. And you're still going to tell us what ideas you have? There never mm. is, though. They, those no, people none. Never, I mean, you know, I was listening to an expert the other day, and he said because of that deal going away, Iran at any point is ten days away from a nuclear weapon. Hmm. Ten days yeah, away, ridiculous. Because we just blew, we just walked away from it, and we're like, no, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I quick story about no labels. I was at a farmer's market. I was minding my own goddamn business, and a teen comes up and is like, "Hey, do you want to sign this petition for no labels?" And I was I like, can't, "I can't wait to hear how they couched it." Yeah, what were they? Well, they clearly were being paid like I don't know right, eight dollars yeah. an hour or whatever it is, um, just to go get signatures at some farmer's market and ruin my afternoon and. I didn't stop them. They actually talked to my brother. I didn't, I, I should have just been like, come here. Let me tell me everything, you know, <laughs> but, but it was wild. Cause I was like, damn, they have so much money yes. and it, they weren't even asking about mansion. They weren't asking about anyone specific. It was just like, if you believe that, you know, we should all come together in the book, yeah. like it wasn't specific, you know? So yeah, are who, they who really going to run? That? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, are they really going to run Mansion, or is that who our other option is going to be here in this the awful I mean, year? The, the the rumors that he's about to announce keep getting hotter and hotter. Um, but really? my 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 guess has always been that he will take this all the way to the brink, and then trade yeah. away, yes. not running, for yeah. whatever thing he, he wants. Want. So, <laughs> That's I mean, what his, he does. His, his daughter runs right. a nonprofit. His mom, his yeah. wife's doing stuff. Like he wants to do stuff. Like. He doesn't and want he, political things anymore, but he's got a life ahead of him. He's got dreams. But if he yeah. if he ran, that that cuts out a section of being able to lobby and do other stuff for him. He he can't right. get so involved in this election. So the, so the threat is not. He has to like make the threat really credible to be able to extract a concession from it. I have a good, nice nugget in that book which shows how he thinks of post um, post Senate life. If you remember, we got this uh, audio of a no labels meeting where he's telling the all of these super super rich like a bunch of billionaires and, you know, sent to millionaires on this, on this call. And he's like, look, I'm trying to protect the filibuster, but I can't even get 10 Republicans to approve of a January 6th committee. And it's still like January, like people are still angry. Like if I can't even get 10 Republicans to back a committee, like how the left is like making me look like an idiot and we're going to have to get rid of the filibuster. He's like, I need four votes. I need you to flip four Republicans to get me this committee so that, that we can save the filibuster. He's like, and one of them is Roy Blunt. He's like, good guy. He's retiring soon. Maybe one of you guys can talk to him about, you know, what what he's going to be doing in the private yes. sector afterwards and get him to switch it, get him to switch his vote, which is like straight up offering somebody, you know, money to change their vote. Yep. Uh, which, which there's a word for that. Um, yeah. But that was that was how he was think that that's how he thinks about um you know post senate life when it comes to his friend Roy Blunt so you can imagine how he would think yeah. about, about himself, himself. Yeah. yeah but he's he's he, he is so good at pretending to be an idiot like i've never yeah. seen anyone pretend to be an <laughs> yeah. idiot better than mansion there's something about his yeah. eyes where you just could, he goes blank at, i don't you know yeah. if i can't explain yeah. it to my constituents how can <laughs> yeah. i explain it to myself in the mirror like you don't yeah. have mirrors in your home anymore, dude. But um, okay, final, final, final. Before Dave, maybe you have a final, final. You leave your book with little ball bouncing, dook, 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 dook. A little conversation between AOC and Representative Jamal Bowman about mm. potentially someone else entering the twenty twenty four race. I'm sure that's just a um, literary device, Ryan, to keep us hanging and reading your wonderful writing. And um, supporting the intercept. A cliffhanger. A little cliffhanger there. But so could there be an AOC 2024 run at the White House? Yay or nay? Yeah. So the anecdote you're talking about, this is a, the the previous doldrums of the uh, Biden administration. There have been there have been several, you know, troughs <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. He's, that he's gone through. But during one of his troughs, uh, Jamal Bowman came up to AOC and said, you know, somebody needs to at least like run a messaging campaign against mm -hmm. Biden, just, just so that he feels like some actual heat. Not yeah. that, not that anybody's going to beat him necessarily, but like, just get out there and make, make the case. Yeah. And she, and she's told him, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Like I've, I've actually considered it. Um, this, the, but then she concluded like in that moment um, that she thought that there, the party was just, too sexist at that point like the party base like mm. wasn't would that she could not be the kind of person that could carry that that mantle because there was some uh, she was going through a trough um 
with a lot of like online vitriol being being hurled her way at that time too. But I, I think but I think it does reflect a real real ambition to you know uh, to make that run at some point. I, I don't I don't see it happening this time. I mean. She should have, last election. You should do it. It's the final one. You got to go for yeah, it. No, it is, if it's exactly. the last one, it is the final that's, one. It, that is, that is got a point. all these Democrats keep telling us that this could be the last one. And all of these Democrats who have a plausible chance of running are like, no, I think my chances are slightly better <laughs> exactly. four years from now. <laughs> that's exactly right. But wait a minute. You just said you're not going to have another one. Democracy's on the line. <laughs> we got to get it right. No. I'll wait my turn, Gavin Newsom. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, just, Ryan. I, like, I hear it and I hear all the squad stuff and I don't think they can do very much and people get mad at him and stuff. But I'm sure people are going to get mad at me for not getting mad at you, but I've never <laughs> cared. But it's just like, vote local. Vote local. Yeah. They can't do anything. The system is such a disaster. I mean, you hear the money flowing around. It's a disaster. Yeah. yeah. Like when people, I don't think getting mad at the squad doesn't do you anything. It's like they can't do anything. No one can do anything. The problems are much, much bigger. Yeah. Please vote local. Yeah. And I think squad members have also said, you know, we need this inside outside strategy. We can't do anything without, you know, external pressure and movement, which I think it we're seeing at now um, in the streets around Palestine. Right. I think that, that that's the only way we're keeping this conversation alive is people um, hitting the pavement, organizing, doing BDS where they can. Um, so organizing, and, and yes, and exactly. And, you know, the, the year of the union keeps on, keeps on being the years of the unions. Um, Ryan, you're wonderful. This book is awesome. Everybody get it. Um, wait, hang on to the full title. <laughs> like the squad by Ryan, by Miss the Grim AOC and the hope of a political revolution. I hope it happens in my lifetime. Um, thank what you so much the for book being behind here. You? It says the quad. What's that one? Oh, oh yeah. What's shoot. that quad? <laughs> Hold on. Oh, that there we go. Look. Oh, hey. it's the same book. <laughs> I was hoping it'd be about just like some really tone. It's a giant quad. oversized it's version of it for grandmas was, and grandpas. I was going to say, is that the big tech, big font <laughs> yes. version? I love yeah. that. I, I was hoping that was going to be about your college years in the dorm quad. The quad, yes. <laughs> Out on the quad. All right. Take good care. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, you know, read uh, Ryan and listen to Deconstructed. Um, yeah, Dave, I was going to save that for when he, when Ryan left, but I was like, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm happy. Bullshit. Ryan knows. Ryan, knows. I, 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 I actually had to. I, I like Ryan. I've liked him for a long time, but I had to stop following him because I knew he was working on a book and he was tweeting so much about the quad, the squad. And I was just like, I just can't I can't pay attention to it anymore because it's it's such a small thing. They can't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I was sort of hinting in the beginning. And I think it's important for us to remember, like it is they are small. They're growing in numbers. We didn't talk to him, but like relative to the Democratic caucus, they are growing. Um, but they're still a drop in the bucket and we need to grow their ranks. And I want I want to say if you guys have extra money, anyone out there obviously become a patron of the show, but fucking donate to these squad members. Truly, truly defend Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and AOC because they are, and Jamal Bowman. And I know it feels like, oh, are you asking to donate blah, 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 campaign money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not Biden money. It's their money. And and they are our best fucking shot. We would be in such a different place were we going through this genocide without anyone to speak out for ceasefire. And you got Cory Bush in there. You got Summer Lee. We didn't talk about Summer Lee, who effectively was able to avoid um, 
uh, APAC money. The reason Summer Lee was able to like win her elections because Summer Lee's from the grassroots because she did this long haul building because she had so many unions, so many um, community organizations supporting her. And I think that's a testament to like, yeah, you APAC doesn't have roots. They don't have roots in communities. Um, so anyway, win for pol- uh, commu- organizing or yeah. That's all they, they have do have cash. cash. They do have cash. We have a final, final, real quick. We're going to just, oh, we're going to burn through this um, just as quick as a door blows off of an airplane. Um, so, obviously, as I just referenced, um, this week, a uh, piece of Alaska Airlines flight, an Alaska Airlines flight out of Portland, um, blew off in the middle of the flight and they had to make an emergency landing it is a miracle nobody was killed um it's interesting why no one was killed um the mishap was such a close call that no one died that's because the seven i think it was what there were no passengers seated near the door that blew out and because alaska airlines aware that the boeing 76 737 MAX 9 was bedeviled with safety problems, had voluntarily instigated a policy of not pl- flying the plane over water. Oh my fucking God. Okay, so the two <gasps> seats that were next to the hole, where the hole opened, were among only seven on the plane that happened to be empty. Passengers might have been sucked out of the hole or, if unmasked, died from a lack of oxygen. Also, they don't fly over water. What is that? What? But what is it? What is the difference? Like, if you didn't, so you fly over land, are you safe? If you get sucked out and fly over, oh, because they can think they can land. Like, what's happening right there? I don't. I don't. I right. Oh, don't worry about it. We don't fly over water. We're over mountains. You're fine. If we go down, (laughs) come on. Okay, so apparently this the door company. There, yes, I guess there's a separate company that makes this door is called Spirit Aero Systems, and they're a spinoff from Boeing, and it became its own firm. Um, and yeah, so as the lever reported, less than a month before a catastrophic aircraft failure prompted the grounding of more than 150 Boeing commercial aircrafts, documents were filed in federal court alleging that former employees of the company's subcontractor repeatedly warned corporate officials about safety problems and were told to falsify records. Ah, <sighs> This is... is I, I don't... I mean, I the records are probably good you know when you find when they were finally falsified that they were probably happy yeah and not sad and nobody wants to be sad when you read a safety report you don't want to be scared i want to be um be lied to um be super excited so obviously guys this is after the multiple crash the multiple mass casualty crashes of boeing this Mm -hmm. is in a time where you know passengers are being squeezed more and more um, this is a broad, broad, broad problem with uh, the airline industry. This is from Luke Goldstein in the American Prospect. Um, specifically, um, sorry, the, w- the, the door that broke off illustrates many of the broader trends in the airline industry, a desire to cram more passengers into a finite space, the standardization of production across outsourced co- subcontractors, and a lack of oversight from federal regulators into these increasingly dangerous schemes. And in fact, Boeing was restructured because of course it was. Um, for, and it turned from an association of engineers to a firm run by Wall Street shareholders. That catastrophic path has led to another systemic crisis for one of the world's two major commercial aviation companies, underscoring the deteriora- deterioration of Boeing's product quality by financialization, cost cutting, 
and outsourcing. But, Dave, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg, he's got our backs. No, he doesn't. He's not. He's you a sound a little homophobic right now. <laughs> just saying like oh god i uh, i swear to god it's because it's gone woke when when transportation's gone woke this is what happens this does does that panel rip rip off the plane if wokeness doesn't exist nope it It stays on if everyone is straight and is in a sexless loveless hetero marriage that's right subcontracted doors that have multiple safety warnings they stay on that's right they because they're they're just like you know again like a a a gay man in a straight relationship they just are just stay on just don't move now you're talking you're happy here everything's good anyway um okay okay the real point of this segment people are like where the fuck are you going with this francesca Uh, dave is wondering is Pete is not actually doing anything to regulate the airlines. However, today, I don't know if you saw, the Department of Justice um, did deny, and I think a Biden-appointed judge struck down a merger between Spirit Airlines oh, and yeah. what's the other shitty? Uh, JetBlue. Jet yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is positive. But- <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a low bar. Look, we stopped a merger. Meanwhile, they're flying around unsafe planes. <laughs> exactly. Now, Dave... I know what we would normally do in a segment like this was just talk about like what we would do to change it, how we should nationalize the airlines or at least, you know, have safety first or have like stronger unions. But we're not going to do that right now. We're going to ask how if we were innovating tech bros from Silicon Valley or McKinsey consultants like Pete Buttigieg himself was, how would we fix and innovate the airline industry? This is consult me. So how do we fix slash make more money or keep making money from what would otherwise be a dangerously murderous problem like the lack of safety in airlines? Well, people love MMA, right? They love the MMA fights. They love cage fighting. They do. I think we combine cage fighting with a boarding of the plane. Oh. Is there much? Can we throw money on the ground for can, it? Is yeah, that we can do all of it? We get okay. everything's on the board. Uh, there can be it can be weapons, like whatever you want to do. But I love this. You no, know, if you want to get on the plane, you got to earn it. Yes, I I think that's great. It's a it's a good way to make a quick buck. Um, shareholders will be very happy. It's yep. good entertainment. Uh, as as we know, I believe Waffle House relies on some of their viral fight videos to bolster its brand. Uh huh. Late night picks up. Let's go. I think you should, for half the price of the fare, allow people to be um, the flotation devices that you sit upon. So you're in the flotation device the whole time. Well, I was thinking more like you're in the cushion, like you are the cushion. So they grab onto you a little bit of like a, you know, to use a an Israeli term, a human shield, if you will, (laughs) of air travel. Um, I like that. I could, I mean, it could work. We, so, we could do. You know, it's a big cost also on planes. Tell me. Glass, because it's two-sided on the windows. And as we've just seen, you can fly with an open side. So yes. just get rid of the glass. Yes, so it's an I open love that. Plane. You can pitch it as like, you know, like a convertible type situation. You're getting fresh air. And yes. uh, off you go. And then that way you don't have to feed people because of everything blowing around. And it's 
kind of. <laughs> it's man. true. Yeah, it's true. You don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ow, we'd save on. There could be no service. We'd we'd save on that yeah. completely. Um, I am so chilled. I can't even think of anything because I am such a nervous flyer. I'm like <laughs> I'm tapping out of this game already because I'm like. I fall asleep instantly when I sit down on a plane. I hate you so much. Out. And you, I hate you, man. Are, can you, are you like, is that a skill you gain when you get a little yeah. older? Like not to. No, it's like, a, it's a skill from touring so much. My body. Oh yeah. You're just would, like, my body would just be like, you're tired. You need to sleep. And, and I just got used to sleeping on planes. So now I fall asleep right when I get on a plane. I have to put on like all my jams. Like I need to like I have like a I can't die right now playlist. Mm -hmm. You ever have that where you're like it's like all your fucking like all the music you love and you're like if I I can't die to this. Are you kidding me? This is great music. Nobody and if I were to die to this, what a way to go. Yeah, yeah. An uplifting uh song. It's yeah, yeah. yeah. It's don't a worry. lot. Of yeah, like don't worry, be happy on there. <laughs> I think the list is called bangers. Um, <laughs> people, some you know, crashers. Ever... It's a lot like gorillas is on there. Catronada is on there. Some Kendrick is on there. You know, we're yeah. going to be all right. You got to listen to that. Bomba stereo, some, some Depeche mode. That's a little dark, but you know, it's fun. Uh, it gets, it gets crazy. Me and me in the air. And then I'll just talk to my neighbor when I get scared. So if I were next, if I were like by the window open, I'd be like, Hey, where are you from? What, where are you going? Great. Um, I, Dave Anthony, I, I have a thing that I do, by the way, with people tell are me. about flying, is that I turn to them when we're getting close to landing and they go, man, we're getting low. I hope there's an airport up here. <laughs> and people get, some people get really upset. <laughs> Dave Anthony, you're so wonderful. Um, you obviously are the co-host of The Dollop, and you also have the Pastimes podcast. Yes. Same and are you touring a lot? We have been touring. We're not. I don't know. If, we don't really have that much lined up. I think we're getting to Australia in May, uh, and nice. then do a U.S. tour in the late summer. Fuck yeah! Fall. Yeah. Fuck yeah! All right. Well, everybody, listen to oh, the dollop. Our, you're not already our listening. Ten-year anniversary is coming up, so pay <gasps> attention to that because we are going to try to do a big live show for that. Oh my god! Please be in L.A. Don't do it in Australia. They don't deserve you. Yeah, and that's true. <laughs> All right, Dave. Take very good care. Thank you so much for being here, everybody. Make sure to listen to The Dollop and all of those podcasts I just mentioned. Um, a few comments and we'll fuck off into the night. Electron Creations, thank you for your super chat. A shout out to my son and youngest, Jamie, who turns 44 today. Ooh, happy birthday, Jamie. Uh, Matt Gates on White 4 Bronco, what's up? Thank you for being a member for seven months. What am I bitching about? Everyone appropriating MLK, even the damned FBI and the government of Israel used his quote yesterday. Oh, I think they do it on purpose. Like the FBI every year, tweets that out and they know what they did they know they sent him letters telling him to kill himself they know they surveilled him like they know they're just doing it to fuck with us um deep state is like very very trolly on lately um late bloomer 66 cal osha oh my god yeah i <clears throat> i didn't ask dave too much about that but um yep i mean essential workers essential workers go back to work and pay for your vaccine and pay for Paxlovid and pay for any cost associated with um, getting COVID or long COVID. Robert, thank you for your super chat on YouTube. The Biden administration is like dating someone who's bad at sex, but thinks, thinks they're super good at it. What do you mean? It wasn't good. I did all the things, both of them. 
I, I like that analogy. Progressive Boomer. Oh, my God. You gifted five Bituation Room subs on YouTube. That's so nice of you. Everybody, if you're not already a member um, on YouTube, what are you doing? Well, become a member. Uh, you can also get access to all the bonus episodes. But please, my preferred choice is Patreon. I get it. I get it if you don't. If you're, if YouTube is your jam, if that's your platform, that's fine. Um, also, Twitch, I will accept. But thank you so much. Um, Joel Izayalekio Johnson, uh, thank you for that very generous super chat. Happy New Year, my sister. We need you here in this space to be both mom and warrior. There is no separation. Mom and warrior. Um, wow, that is... I am a warrior. I'm a keyboard warrior. Michael Reich, uh, I hope they all get reelected. AOC has some juice in her second term. The turnover is too fast. It's a complicated gig, indeed. Hef says, Joe Manchin screwed Biden, gave his word, and broke it. Um, uh, Terrence Trumbo, I remember getting so triggered when Jimmy Dore and Bree were lambasting them for not committing the ridiculous force-the-vote strategy. I mean, here's the thing. You only have so many shots. I, I don't, I don't want to talk about this right now, but maybe on Friday we can talk about it. There's only so many shots you can take. Like, you need to form consensus. You need to have a good chance of passing your legislation. Otherwise, you are not taken seriously necessarily within your colleagues, with, with the colleagues, people who, who you didn't get on board or you didn't build consensus for it or you didn't take the small steps. And so I get it. Like, there's different ways about doing it. If you want someone to purely be performative, then you do something like force the vote. But if you want someone to actually deliver on that, you have to play a longer game. Anyway, um, the dollop with Dave Anthony subs. Oh, yeah. I mean, they don't need any more subs, but it's my one of my favorite podcasts. Um, Late Bloomer 66, Francesca, thank you for bringing Dave here today. I missed you being on TDR, but John and Brett were great. The combination of you and Dave after John and Brett with Brooke modding has made my day. Love to you all. I will be on the show tomorrow, so don't worry, Dragon Squad. Um, Ale uh, Donald James member on YouTube. I like more progressives like the squad. The bigger the caucus, the voting power. Indeed. Um, Terrence Trumbo, please AOC save us. Um jesse drinks uh the right is blaming dei for this lol oh is on the door yeah obviously obviously they're blaming dei um andrew has a great idea in terms of our consultant um firm that we've created here the frontifa andrew says pay elon musk to dig tunnels we fly planes through i love that um and armin williams says i listen to erica badu's window seat i love that first of all erica badu very good choice for the plane. I also listen to Solange because Solange is very like sleepy plane music and also kind of like everything's good. Everything's chill. Like the wings are totally not going to fall off this plane. Nothing's happening. That turbulence is soup's norm. Um, with that, guys, thank you so much to all the patrons uh, for supporting the show. For anyone over $10 and for anyone who tips the show, I give you a shout out in the fart song. It's going to be a little bit of a short one, but that's okay. Frank Morningtree giving out 10 community subs, you devil you. Late Bloomer 66, also for resubscribing 30 months strong. And then four days ago, Jayhawker41, the ball dragon, gifted a tier one sub to Chris Huggy. Thank you so much. Squishmallow Dragon also gave out a community sub and cheered 100 bits. Flash Gordon resubscribed with Prime says, wee woo, wee woo. Hey, Yas, resubscribe with Prime. Subscribe with Prime. Welcome, hey, Yas. And I think that's it.
And thank you to Paige Omek, to Maximilian Inhoff, and to Andy Vasoyan, our editor. We stream every Tuesdays and Friday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. Follow the Bituation Room on Twitter, <coughs> Bituation Pod, um, TikTok, and Instagram, Bituation Room. And remember, people, to get your tickets to Saturday and Sunday, the 27th and 28th of January, January in San Francisco. Stand up live Bituation Room. It will sell out. <coughs> my voice and remember to fight the power to fuck the patriarchy to free palestine and don't just bitch about it be about it